please turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We are going to finish up our series on spiritual disciplines this morning. As we begin, I want to uh, tell you a story. When I was in seminary, I worked a variety of jobs. I, um, I worked as a parking lot attendant. I moved furniture. I was a security guard. Uh, they didn't let me have a gun. But I did get a really cool walkie-talkie. And, uh, and I dug ditches. Literally, I, I dug ditches. I did a bunch of jobs like that. And those jobs allowed me to pay my bills and assume my place in society right below the poverty line. You know, this is where I was living. I, I, was, I was really poor. And so uh, one, one day, some friends of mine that I'd gone to A&M with, they asked me if I would house sit for them while they went on vacation to San Francisco. It's like, yeah, absolutely. I, <laughs> I need the money. They lived about 20 miles south of Dallas. And so every evening I would get in my car, I'd drive south, I'd uh, feed their pets, I'd stay in their house, I'd take care of things, look after things, collect the mail, that kind of stuff. And I noticed that after a few days of driving down there, that I started not liking it. Like, I, started, I started really being um, burdened, frustrated, anxious, because you know, I graduated a year before them, and from a human perspective, from a worldly perspective, I really hadn't moved on. Um, and they had moved on. They were both working really good jobs. They purchased a nice two-story house, and I thought about the dorm I was living in with a whole bunch of stinky guys, and it was nasty, and they had two nice cars in the garage, and I was driving this old beater, and they even had two cats. And you know, I don't really even like cats that much, but I was jealous of their cats. I was jealous of everything. You know, it's just like, ah, everything was, like, you know, nagging at me, and I'm driving back and forth, and thinking, well, at least, you know, I'm putting all these miles on my car, I'll make some money, and then I'm out. I'm not doing this again, you know. It, just, it was just creeping in on me, and um, I just found myself envious. And they got home, and I thought, all right, well, now we can settle up and enough of this. And they say, oh, you know, thanks. Here's some pictures. And they show me pictures of where they went on vacation. Oh, you know, oh, we're so grateful for you coming down to house it for us. Uh, hey, we got you a little something. I'm like, oh, awesome. And they handed me a T-shirt and a letter opener. No cash. Okay, a T-shirt and a letter opener. It's like, just why don't you just stick it? Just stick it and twist it, right? Just, ah, ah you know, like, man, I drove home and I was... Bitter, and I, and I recognized that, that envy had just kind of crept into my heart. It was squeezing me. It was hurting my relationship with the Lord. God wants our entire heart. He doesn't want anything less. Great commandment is very simple. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. God wants all of it. And sometimes envy, idols, different things creep in and they begin to, to displace God as first in our lives. And so God tests us, God trains us. One of the ways he does that is with our attitude toward material things and our use of material things. He tests us and trains us so that our heart will become holy and fully his. This morning we're going to talk about our final two spiritual disciplines. If you're joining us for the first time, I know we've got a lot of students starting to come back. Uh, we've been talking about disciplines this summer. And the definition that we've been working off of is this. Spiritual disciplines are habits of body and mind that allow us to effectively cooperate with God's spirit in the process of character transformation. A couple of things that are important to note. We can't change ourselves. Our activities don't change us. God changes us. Spiritual disciplines alone don't change us. In fact, we can get really legalistic and really self-righteous about different practices of body and mind. 
Spiritual disciplines are simply ways that we make ourselves available to the Spirit so that He can change us. It's like a sail on a sailboat. It's not the sail that moves the boat, it's the wind. And we can set that sail so that we catch the wind. We can put ourselves at the Spirit's disposal so the Spirit can move us and mold us and change us. That's all that spiritual disciplines do. And so we'll talk about the final two this morning. Disciplines of simplicity and sharing. But where I want to begin is with a question, uh, in a sense that kind of frames a biblical perspective on wealth. Is it a blessing or is it a curse? What does the Bible teach about wealth? Well, actually both. Wealth can be either a blessing or a curse. God knows that we live in a physical world and he has made us physical beings and spiritual beings, but spiritual beings who have bodies and we live in a physical world. So we have needs and God gives us wealth to meet those needs. We need food and we need shelter and we need clothing. And so God provides for us. These are good gifts, not just for our needs, but also so that we would enjoy the physical and material world as physical material people. God put Adam and Eve not in the desert, put them in a garden, right? And when he bought a people for himself, He brought them into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. If they lived in obedience to him, they would enjoy the blessings of the land. And Paul tells Timothy, he says, God has given us all things richly to enjoy. So to meet our needs, but also to enjoy. Having our needs met, enjoying these things, we also have a surplus. We have an abundance and we can enjoy the pleasure of sharing with others and giving. And then finally, we can help to further the advance of God's kingdom, which God's kingdom is spiritual, but it's a spiritual kingdom that is established in a physical place. God's intention is that his kingdom, his glory, his honor, his reputation would go throughout the physical world. And when we make contributions to others who are taking the gospel to places in our community or throughout the world that we can't reach, we're investing in the kingdom of God. These are all good uses of wealth. However, wealth can also be a curse because the more you have, a lot of times the more you want, right? It's easy for wealth to come into our lives. Maybe it's a little, maybe it's a lot. It really doesn't matter the amount. But we can begin to want more. Literally, the word for greed is to have more. To have more. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. And Solomon knew a thing or two about money, didn't he? He had lots, and he realized the more he had, well, uh, the more he actually wanted. Wealth had crept in, and he wanted more. In Proverbs chapter 30, it says, The leech has two daughters. Give, give. (laughs) That's pretty short. You you should memorize that. That's a great verse. And you're probably, ah, that's gross. Solomon, what are you thinking? Well, I think he he picked that analogy because it is gross. The leech gets on you, and what does it want? What's more of your blood? Then it fills up and it wants more and it wants more. Well, that's a lot of times what wealth does is it creeps in and we just want more. All of my needs materially were met in seminary. I didn't have much, but I had my needs met. But when I saw someone that had more than I had, I wanted more. And greed can slip into idolatry. Only one thing can occupy the first priority in our lives. And when we want more, slowly, subtly, Material things can take that place. They can become an idol for us. I want you to read with me in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. In Jesus' sermon, wealth takes up 
an enormous chunk of this sermon, his most famous sermon. In fact, Jesus talked a lot about money. The Bible talks a lot about money because our attitude toward wealth and our use of wealth reveals our heart and what we truly love. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. Why? Here's the explanation. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What he says is, where you invest your money, your heart will follow. It is an undeniable principle of human nature. You will love where you invest your money. You will love where you invest your time, where you invest your emotions, where you invest your energy. Your heart will follow those things. Verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear or good, which means that, that's a figure of speech for generosity. Okay, so if your eye is good, that means you're generous. Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is evil, that is a figure of speech for being greedy. So if your eye is evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That is, you cannot have two things occupying number one space in your heart. One will displace the other. And wealth can easily become an idol. When it does, anxiety creeps in. And so Jesus goes on in the Sermon on the Mount and he says, stop worrying about your body. What you'll eat, what you'll wear, don't you realize? Look, look out on the field. She's, he's probably preaching in a field. He says, why don't you just turn around and look? Look at the flowers of the field. They, they just grow up and they don't worry about clothing themselves. And yet God arrays them with beautiful wardrobe. Do you think God cares more for the flowers or for you? Don't have anxiety. Do you think you can add to your, the length of your life by being anxious? But when we love money, we become anxious over money because we can't control our money. A recession can come and boom, your retirement account drops. You can lose a job. You can, you can face all these things. And so if you love money, you are going to become anxious about money. When Tristy and I were first married, we were trying to figure out where do we invest our meager savings and... Um, Somebody introduced me to an investment opportunity. It was an amazing opportunity, really. I mean, too good to be true. We're like, I brought it home to her. And I said, honey, we, we've, we got to put some money into this. I, you know, I suggest we put in, you know, it's like 90% of our savings. I, go, I think we should just put all of it in because, you know, this is going to double in a year. I mean, this is huge. And, you know, she's sitting there listening. She goes, how about if we put in like half of that amount? Let's just put in a little smaller amount. I go, but honey, if we only put in half, then when it doubles, we'll only have half. See, that's the, how the math works on this amazing investment opportunity, you know, and I'm persuading and so forth. And, you know, you're trying to work out early in marriage, you know, how do you make decisions like this together? And so I decided, you know, this is beyond her comfort level. We'll just put in half. I'm, I know better, right? I'm an economics major. I got, you know, okay, we'll just put in half. We won't make as much money, but it's okay. So a few months later, it's time to start receiving some returns on this investment. And guess what? It was gone. The entire investment was gone. I got to report a loss on my 1040 for the first time. It, was, it evaporated, the whole thing. You know, and I learned 
a good lesson about listening to my wife. In that, amen. I'm surprised I only got one. Yes, Tristy, right? (laughs) Amen? Yeah, there you go. Solomon says, wealth has wings. If you set your heart upon it, you will be anxious. Anxiety can lead to slavery. This thing that should be a tool, it should be something that we use, that's, that's our, our servant becomes the master. We become the slave. Again, taking you back to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, it says, there's a, a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. Collecting and then hoarding because of the anxiety, and it damages that person. First Timothy chapter 6, Paul tells Timothy, those who, who love riches... Paul's not saying riches are bad. He's saying those who love riches fall into a temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction because the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not the root of all evil, but a root of all kinds of evil. And some by longing for it. When you long for it, it plunges you into ruin and destruction. So, how do we enjoy the blessings of wealth without being overcome by its curses. Okay? Two principles we're going to talk about this morning. First is uh, living simply, simplify. Okay? And the second is sharing. And I want to make it clear when I talk about simplifying our lives that I'm not talking about asceticism. Okay? Within an ascetic mindset, the philosophy behind that is that the world is somehow inherently evil, which is not true. God created this world. It's fallen, it's broken, but it's not inherently evil. Within asceticism, you, you punish yourself, you take on poverty because somehow you think poverty itself is spiritual, which it's not. Okay, so we're not talking about afflicting ourselves simply for the sake of afflicting ourselves. We're talking about releasing ourselves from, from bondage to our stuff. Okay, and wealthy people can be in bondage, but people who don't have much can also be in bondage. Remember one time when I was down in Central America, I was talking to a missionary and I said, I guess you don't really struggle with people being materialistic here. And he said, oh, no, no, no. He said, you can be materialistic whether you want two cars in the garage or you want two donkeys in your yard. Okay? It's not the amount. It's who owns your heart. Okay? So when we talk about simplification, we're talking about lightening our load. Going through not under the bondage of our stuff. Uh, Hebrews 11, that, that hall of fame of people who live by faith, one of the themes that runs throughout is that these people realized this world is not my ultimate and final existence. And so I can live well by living much lighter. Okay? And living for eternity, enjoying and sharing what I have now, but living for eternity and going through life much lighter. A couple of years ago, I ran across a great quote by Phillips Brooks. He said, Your soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. Boy, if you take away nothing this morning, that's just, that's a great quote. Your soul is stuffed with small things. That leaves no room for the great. So, how do we simplify? A couple of principles. First, clear out the clutter. Clear out the clutter, okay? Having so much stuff clutters our hearts and our minds, not just our rooms. Um, Yesterday, we had our furniture giveaway for international students. I know a lot of you participated in this. It's really an amazing and remarkable 
opportunity for, for our congregation to clear out the clutter and for us to give. And it amazes me how much stuff we give away year after year. The gym was filled with household items, uh, sheets, towels, pots, pans, really nice stuff to give. The college auditorium was packed out with furniture to give away. Uh, I always appreciate the fact that we make sure that students have the necessities of life, <laughs> coffee makers. Um, a couple of years ago, I took this picture, which I thought, you know, this really represents the giving heart of our congregation. Someone would relinquish a Woody doll. That's really giving. Uh, I also took this slide a couple of years ago that I thought, well, you know, we're, we're paying attention as well to the entertainment needs of international students. An archaic way, right? VHS. But notice, <laughs> we've got religion, the apostle. We've got romance, Notting Hill. We've got sci-fi. And we even care about their physical health. There's lateral thigh trainer, <laughs> pow- powerhouse workout video. Because I how bad would that be like if international students went around with weak lateral thigh muscles? So, you know, we're really holistic as we give, okay? Now, what really stuns me, I am amazed at our, our generosity as a church. For, for you know, probably two decades, we've been giving and giving. No fee required, no, that stuns me. But what amazes me even more is that we're actually able to do it year after year after year, right? This all goes out, and the next year, we will refill it. Where does it come from? Yeah, I mean, have you ever wondered? It's like, it, we, just, we just keep filling it. Where, where does it emerge from? My wife is great about clearing out clutter. She'll, she'll go through our closets, and if we haven't worn something in three months, she gives it away. She goes through her side. She goes through my side. doesn't matter if I like it. There's a bag sitting out. Take it to Twin City. She says, don't open it up and look inside. Don't pull anything out. You know, just, just take it. But what's amazing is I'll take the bag, and I'll look in our closet, and I don't See, it doesn't look any different, right? And then it just keeps refilling and refilling and refilling. It's amazing. I came across a statistic uh, this week. Uh, this is the, the latest number I could find. It's from 2006. So this is six years ago. Okay? So the number today, 2012, would be much larger. But according to statistics, the gross revenues from self-storage units in the United States was $22.6 billion dollars. Okay, just let that sink in. So Americans spend $22.6 billion storing stuff we're not using right now. Right? Just waiting for the giveaway so we can move more stuff into our storage units. $22.6 billion. Clear out the clutter. Okay? For many of us, we may even be carrying debt, but we're also carrying clutter. Clear out the clutter. Okay? Simplify. Second principle. Unload the big rocks. Uh, a few weeks ago, a friend of mine gave me an analogy. He says, we, we go through life, it's like we're carrying a backpack, and we sometimes pick up big rocks. We need to stop, sit down, and unload those burdens, those big rocks. One of the big rocks for many of us in our lives is, is debt. And we're carrying debt. And it's dragging us down, and it's, it's causing anxiety. It's causing conflict in marriage. It's causing um, tension even in our relationship with the Lord. In Proverbs 22, it says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. We, we become a slave when we borrow, when we owe, when we carry debt. A couple other statistics I think are very revealing. According to the Federal Reserve, 43% of American families spend more than they earn. 
Okay, almost half of American families spend more than they earn. They make up the difference with uh, credit card debt at extremely high interest rates. Consumer debt in America has grown 1,700% since 1971. <laughs> That's a big number. 1,700% since 1971. Okay? Now, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not a, a person who believes that all debt absolutely is bad. So, and I realize there's disagreement among Christians about that, so don't come tell me you disagree. I know some of you will disagree. That's okay. Uh, I'm going to give you my, my opinion on this. I think there are different kinds of debt. There are different kinds of debt. There are, in debts, there are debts sometimes that are there are investments, okay? investments in our, our future even. Students, some of you may need to take out some student loans to get through. That's an investment in your future earnings. And I understand that. Sometimes that's necessary. Uh, I would encourage you, though, absolutely minimize that. Okay, because that can become a big rock that you carry around for a really, really long time. Okay, so be very cautious even about how much student loan debt you take on. Uh, debt for a house. A house, in a sense, is not a need. You, you don't have to own your house. You could rent a place. But sometimes it's a good investment to stop paying rent and instead invest in this asset. Sometimes you need to borrow some toward that asset. And that can be a wise thing. You get a really low interest rate and you don't borrow so much that if you hit some hard times and your earnings drop that you're completely underwater. You know, I would say that can be a good investment. That can be a wise decision, but still be cautious even about that kind of debt. The debt that's really, really bad is what we call a consumer debt. It's when we're, we are, are taking on debt for things we really don't need. You don't need an iPhone. You don't need the latest iPhone. It's fun. You don't need unlimited data. Oh, I know I said it. (laughs) But you can live without unlimited data. You know, you might argue, yeah, but I need a phone, okay? Flip, right? You can, you know, you can live, you can live with that. I mean, it's not very hip and cool and you're not, you know, whatever, but... You don't need that, right? And what happens is we accumulate debt. We should never accumulate debt for things we don't need. Electronics. Do you need clothing? Yeah, you do need clothing, but do you need more clothing? You, You may need a vehicle, but do you need the best vehicle that you can absolutely afford? Do you need the biggest house that you can absolutely afford that pushes you right to the margin? The answer is no. Get, get rid of that big rock. Why? Because the borrower becomes the lender's slave. And when we are carrying that around, it affects our spiritual life as well. It becomes a preoccupation. It becomes a fear and anxiety, a worry, because you're carrying that big rock. Okay? So be very cautious about that and minimize the debt. Okay? Reduce it if you can. Uh, we are going to be offering actually a, a Crown Ministries one-day seminar coming up in the fall. And there are all kinds of good resources that we'll introduce you to as well. There's Uh, Dave Ramsey and Ron Blue, like I said, this crown ministries thing. We'll talk about that more when we get into James. But there are resources available. Uh, If you're not sure about that and you want some help, some strategies to to get rid of those big rocks, uh, come and talk to me afterwards and we'll chat some more about that. Third, leave room at the margins. Leave room at the margins. What I mean by that is uh, live below your means. Live below your means. Proverbs chapter 30 says, Four things are small on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are not a strong people, but they prepare their food in the summer. 
Solomon didn't know about fire ants, right? But uh, none of those in Israel. But he says, the ants are not a strong people. Here's the analogy. They prepare their food in the summer. They don't stop eating in the summer. They keep eating, but they don't, keep, they don't eat everything they collect during the summer months. They put a bit aside because they know there's going to be some harder times. Winter's going to come. There won't be anything to collect, and we're going to have to hunker down. And so we set aside a portion. Okay? That is a principle throughout the book of Proverbs. Getting rich quick probably won't happen to most of us. I don't set aside a portion of my income to invest in the lottery. I, you know, the odds are just, you know, beyond what I think is reasonable. You know, billion to one. Still got a chance, right? I don't, that's not how I, I'm not hoping to get rich quick. I'm trying to follow what Proverbs says and just set aside a portion. Even when our, our income was really tight, we tried to get in the habit of setting aside at least a portion. Proverbs said, these are the wise people. Just like the ants. They don't consume all the way up to the limit. They set aside a portion. Another really interesting verse in uh, the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, says this. When you reap the harvest of your land, moreover, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleaning of your harvest. You are to leave them for the needy and the alien. I am the Lord your God. It's a very interesting verse, isn't it? And that's where I got this, this concept, leave room at the margin. So you own a field, and the law was leave a section all the way around. Leave a section all the way around. Uh, save a portion of what you earn to provide for you and your own. And then leave a section so that you are anticipating sharing with others. A plan to share with others. Part of our giving is a, a portion of money we set aside undesignated. Because people are always popping in and they have a need and it's an emergency, whatever. And we don't have to think twice because we know we've got a little fund. But we've set aside extra money. And we can share. That's that margin around. And when I, when I was uh, in college and later in seminary, for several years, I used to backpack a lot. And I, I loved the experience for many reasons. But one is I love the simplicity. Everything you needed for a week or two weeks on the trail, you carried. So part of the philosophy is carry the minimum. Right? It's very minimalistic. You don't want to have to be carrying this 70 miles so take out everything you don't absolutely need. And it was a wonderful experience, not just physically and enjoying the beauty, but just spiritually. It was a great reminder. I don't really, really need all that stuff. I take kids on backpacking trips sometimes, and one of the rules is you leave all electronics behind. It's so quiet. It's very unnerving. When you actually, literally unplug and you carry everything you need, or another person, a friend, is carrying what you need. You're carrying it together. It's a very spiritual experience. Okay? Remove the clutter. Leave room at the margins. Right? Live below your means. Simplify. That prepares you to be able to share with others. That's the second point. Share with others. And I want to give you quickly four uh, principles of sharing. Okay? The first is this. Share habitually. And no matter how much you give, just get in the habit consistently. Even when your means are small, then, then that's okay. Give small, but give as a matter of habit. 1 Corinthians 16, it says, On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper. Paul said to the Corinthian believers, just get in habit. It's just like worship. Make it habitual. It's like prayer. He used to say, Paul said, prayer is like a hacking cough. Just keep praying. Just keep worshiping. Just keep giving. Make it a habit because then it transforms the way you think about life. Make it a habit. 
Second, give wisely. I, I think of my giving as a, an eternal portfolio. You know, I'm sending it ahead and I want to send it ahead wisely. And I want to diversify my eternal assets, right? So I do th- a few things. Uh, I, I give toward family. I want to have money that's available for family. Paul says, the one who doesn't take care of his own, he says, that's worse than an unbeliever. Unbelievers take care of their own families. Take care of your family. First priority, I think, because they're closest to you. Second, your local church. And this is not a pitch for you to give more this morning. We're not going to send the plates around a second time or have you come up and show your check or whatever, okay? But a really strong principle, Paul states, is where you're fed, there you should also contribute to feed others, okay? Contribute to local needs. Uh, what are the local needs that are being met by people here and they're, they're done in the name of Christ, and not in the name of good deeds or being good people, but in the name of Christ, we're reaching out to those who have needs, those who can't provide for themselves. And then finally, missions. I want to give, I want to, God cares about the nations. I want to give to the nations and I want to support missionaries who are really doing good work that I believe in because where my treasure is, there will my heart be also. So that's my, my portfolio, so to speak. Third principle, give sacrificially. Give sacrificially. Um, we don't teach tithing here. I'm not anti-tithing. The New Testament doesn't reject tithing. It doesn't affirm tithing. The New Testament doesn't talk about tithing. Um, it gives different principles for giving, but you should remember with the tithe, the tithe was 10% off the top for Jewish people, and then they had free will offerings. They had offerings to the poor. They left some around the margins. Every seven years, if somebody owed you money, you forgave the debt. In other words, all these different things created this this culture of generosity. So I'm not going to tell you, hey, you should give 10% or you should give 11 or 9, but uh, give sacrificially. What Jesus really praised was when the widow came and she put on the two coins because she gave out of her poverty, not out of her abundance. She gave out of her heart. That's what God was concerned with. C.S. Lewis has a very convicting quote. He said, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare, or more, we th- more than we think we can spare. Right? Finally, give joyfully. Okay? I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, Paul has a a long section here about giving and generosity, how we should give, what what we should give to. Chapter 9, verse 6, he writes, Now I say this, The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That word for cheerful is the word from which we get hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. One who just enjoys giving. I've heard it said, don't give like you give to the IRS. Give like you're giving a kid a new bike or a doll or a toy train. Give joyfully. Give cheerfully. Why? Well, because fundamentally, our financial giving is an act of worship. Paul would tell the Philippian believers, that contribution you made so that I could take the gospel to others, he said that was like an aroma. It was like incense going up before God. God received that as worship. It's worship. Because it reveals where our heart is. What do we value most? What do we love the most? It's an indicator. It's an indicator that we're living for 
something beyond this material world, that there's more to come in the, for us in life. This isn't an end when all material things we leave behind and then there's nothing. But we can send things ahead. We can invest forever. We believe that and so we do it. Okay? We invest. Notice how he concludes this paragraph, chapter 9, verse 15. He says, But thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What's he talking about there? He's talking about salvation. He's talking about Jesus. God gives more. Okay? God gives more. And so when we give, we're just, we're just worshiping with a portion of all that he has given to us. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you have never actually received God's greatest gift from him, don't walk out of here and start giving to charities. Please don't hear that as your application point. Because God doesn't want you giving and giving to charities and so forth and trying to do things that make you feel good about yourself or make God obligated to you. He wants you to first receive the gift of Jesus Christ. Absolutely free gift. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. You could have sins removed, the debt gone, that huge rock removed, and you could have life that lasts forever. And all that he requires is that you say, God, thank you. I accept that free gift. Let me encourage you, if you haven't received that gift this morning, that you first do that. If you have received the gift, as uh, folks come forward and they're going to service communion, just take a few moments. Say, God, thank you. Thank you for what this represents. The blood of Jesus Christ poured out for me. His body broken for me. Thank you for your indescribable gift. Just take a few moments to quietly thank the Lord, and then we'll take the bread and the cup together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread together. Then he took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. My blood that's poured out as a payment for your sins. Let's take the cup together. On his deathbed, uh, Patrick Henry wrote this. He said, I have now disposed of all my property to my family. There's one thing more I wish I could give them, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. If they had faith in Jesus Christ and I had not given them a single shilling, they would have been rich. And if they did not have faith in Jesus Christ and I had given them all the world, they would be poor indeed. Thank you, God, for your indescribable gift of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we thank you for the gift of Christ. It's a gift we cannot repay. Our meager offerings do not repay that debt. But they are a simple way that we can say, God, thank you. Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that you have given us Jesus freely. What an, an indescribable gift. We really, really cannot wrap our minds around it. But I pray, Father, this week you would just fill our hearts and our minds with gratitude. I pray, Father, that you would lay out in front of us some, some really practical steps that we can take to release our hearts from slavery to stuff, the fear and anxiety that that brings, and give our hearts again afresh, wholly, completely to you. It's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Remember, if you want to sign up for children's ministry, they'll be out in the foyer.